Welcome to the concession stand, ladies and gentlemen. We have a very special third episode today. Uh, joining us is another member of Unwrapped Sports. Please welcome uh, Monique Yip. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm really excited to get started. I haven't actually been on a podcast for so long, so this is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So just to uh, give a rundown of what you do at uh, Unwrapped Sports Network, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of stuff. Uh, you're the uh, social media director. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so pretty much, like, obviously, we're kind of a family of 80-plus contributors, and all the contributors have amazing content. So pretty much my job is to make you guys look really good online. So obviously, I curate a lot of the posts for Unwrapped Sports, and especially for our live lineups that happen every single week. I pretty much make the promo for a lot of them, including, like I said, the content that you or whoever is in the network they post. And to pretty much to make it all fancy and make everybody look at it and be like, oh, that's really cool. So that essentially is what I do for, for Unwrapped Sports, yeah. Yeah, it's really cool, uh, especially when you're coming new to the network. It's a family here. Uh, just a reminder that this is an Unwrapped Sports exclusive podcast. Check out all their podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter a little more. They post a little more on Twitter. Um, it, it, they, they are posting po uh, content on Twitter constantly, so of course, check them out. And you have your own show. You have, um, you're part of uh, Ladies Unwrapped, which is fairly new. Can you tell us about that as well? Yeah, so basically the Ladies of Unwrapped is pretty much a network of all the ladies that are going to join. I know we have a couple, and we have a panel tonight actually for the Unwrapped This segment, so I'm really excited. It's our second one of the year, and so pretty much the whole essence of it is to support women in sports, you know, put uh, women that are in the sports industry at the forefront because I know it's always been ignored, but you know what? We're like people too that know sports and that's the whole part of, you know, why we have this network. And so anybody, like I said, any uh, person, especially females, if you want to join, if you have like such a passion for sports, like please reach out at, at the ladies of USN on Twitter. And I guess like, I guess I could say this because I'm also obviously what combat sports department head as well fights unwrapped a uh, huge UFC MMA Bellator boxing fan right here for like over 10 years so if you want to check out funny exclusive content and amazing streams you can check us out at fights unwrapped so that's a good plug in I, right there of course you are the uh, as you said you are the director of uh, fights unwrapped and of course we're going to be talking some fighting tonight if that's all right yeah oh yeah that's always all right <laughs> uh yeah so tell us about fights unwrapped we do have mlb unwrapped but this is in another sector of um uh unwrapped sports just tell us a little about about that as well yeah, so Fights and Rap is essentially all of combat sports combined. Obviously, right now we're concentrating more on MMA because it's really hot right now. Uh, boxing is just starting to emerge back, I guess you could say, since COVID. So we'll be covering those matches as well. I know like one of the matches we'll discuss tonight, obviously. And uh, Fights and Rap, for, for me, is not just about like the news that gets brought up in the headlines it's also kind of like what do you think about what this matchup is who do you think is going to win and that's exactly why we do our streams you know me and a, and a group of people a group of panelists that are obviously super into mma we talk uh, we disagree sometimes but it makes for a fun show and uh yeah we just we just love the violence and that's pretty much the essence of fights on rap yeah like i'm just getting into ufc 
But what I love about it is that boxing, you know, you can only do so much. You can just punch in the face with gloves. You are in an octagon with one other person. You can play football. You can play uh, You can play soccer. You can't play fighting. This this is mm-hmm. just who, who can just fight better, who can get someone on the ground, who can hit harder. I, yeah. That's what I love about UFC. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, I think people, I guess, if they're new to it, you don't really think about this aspect, which I'm about to say right now is obviously, yeah, okay, who's the stronger, better, more technical fighter who can transition on the ground easily, who at the same time has fast reflexes, uh, reach advantage, all that. But then people don't really think about, you know, the fight IQ. And I know so many fighters that just have so, like, they're so skilled and like, you can see the potential right there, but then they just make the stupidest decisions in the octagon and that's what causes them, you know, the the fight and potentially a contender spot, right, in the division. So obviously keep in mind that is also a huge part of the fight game. Yeah, definitely. Like all sports, you need to have a strong mental game, especially in fighting, because if you panic in the octagon, it's not good for you. Not at all. No, exactly. Exactly. And and the thing that we probably, unless you actually practice it and you compete in it, you, you forget that, you know, in the octagon, it's a totally different story. So your game plan that you had in your head for months, it can literally just vanish if you get punched or get knocked out or get taken down and and you know that's how you judge you know whether this fighter really has a great fight iq and you know are they going to be able to scramble or adapt to new situations so it's a lot of you know analyzation for me but it's kind of like my kind of nerding out when it comes to mma so yeah uh, before we move on, I have to say a quote. We're going to be talking about this guy tonight too, but just a little quote. Uh, everyone, like you said, everyone has a plan until they get hit in the mouth. If you know mm-hmm. who's that. Oh, I definitely know who said that. We'll be talking <laughs> about, about him tonight. I guess like we could, we probably could tease it. Like I think anybody who does not know that quote, you should by by at the end of this episode. Yeah, so for sure. Last night, um, as we were saying, UFC fight night in the Apex headquarters in Las Vegas. Derek Lewis versus Alexi Olenek. Uh, Derek Lewis won by TKO in round number two. Uh, so this is what's interesting to me. Alexi Olenek, as, as far as I know, he's been around here forever. Like he's, 40, <laughs> he's 43 years old. The same age as his last opponent, Fabricio Verdun. Uh, which uh, he won by decision in May. He's already had three fights this year. Do you think Alexi Olenek, at the very young age of 43, (laughs) and remember, like, UFC, like, you need to have conditioning. You have to have your body rest. You have to have camp. Do you think he's going to fight in another card this year? Mm, that's a, that's a really good question. I actually never, I didn't think about this, so uh, you're definitely keeping me on my toes. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised because I think the turnaround rate, especially during COVID, is ridiculous. Like fighters that fought two months ago are already getting a fight in the next, you know, month and a half. It, it's crazy, and it, you know the reason why is because a lot of things unfortunately happen. You know, fighters have to bow out because some of them unfortunately get tested, you know, positive for it, and so they definitely need some backups. You know, Alexei Olenek is definitely not getting younger, but at the same time, he's obviously really determined, you know, to showcase what he has. And for 43 years old, being able to pull off those submissions at any time, at any position, like, you know, hats off to to him. I wish I was going to be like that (laughs) at 43, so. 
Yeah, I think it could be a possibility. It could be a yeah. good possibility. Yeah. We're going to be talking about a lot of people at uh, a very young age tonight. One of them uh, is a return of Chris Weidman. Uh, who fought in the card last night. We remember he was the former middleweight champion. He won over Anderson the Spider Silva. Yeah. Oh, that broke my heart just a little bit. <laughs> I love yeah. Anderson Silva. Love him, love him. He's a god to me. So. so after the fight last night, he said the words, I'm back. Now, we have to remember he's at the age of 36, which is not as old as Olenek or Verdum, but still pretty old so do you think uh one do you think he is back and two he he wasn't as far as i know i've checked with multiple sources he did not have the strongest showing do you think he can go back to where he once was okay so that's a two-part answer for me because the first part is just talking about the fact that he's in the middleweight division i don't know if anybody follows mma very closely but that division is stacked the first like you know top five fighters alone in that division are like it's, it's gonna be a challenge it's gonna be a mission to get past them you know they have knockout power they obviously have a lot of skill you know you know, Izzy Adesanya, the champ, like, obviously just really lightning-fast reflexes, head movement, like, pretty much some people say better than Anderson Silva, and then you also obviously have Borashina, you have uh, Paulo Costa, who's about to fight him, and he has that knockout power, and he's super technically strong as well. And then, obviously, Yoel Romero, another one of those, you know, 40-year-old specimens that wants to fight until he's 50, conditioned to a freaking god, and still has that knockout power, and he's the one who actually need, uh, you know, Wyman the head to get that TK and that kind of started like Wyman's kind of plummet and a sabbatical if you if you what I might say and then now he's back I, I think it's just gonna be so tough like I don't know what kind of Wyman like I'm used to seeing because basically I'm gonna be blunt and honest I was not imp- I was never impressed by Chris Wyman you know honestly I thought that you know that win over Anderson Silva was Anderson Silva's, like, you know, his Achilles heel catching up to him because he's, like, a taunter, you know, that's how he is. Like, he's just used to, like, having no, you know, like, you know, hands on the ground and then taunting and then trying to do the head movement, and then it just finally caught up to him. Obviously, he got caught. But other than that, I never thought Chris Wyman was actually, like, impressive, and especially now that the division has gotten more stacked, I think it's – it's not going to be impossible, but it's just going to take a lot of hard work. It might take a few uh, changes in the camp. What I mean by that, like changes in coaching, because sometimes when you're with the coach for so long and like, you know, nothing really like improves from that. Like sometimes you just need a change. And uh, so maybe that's what Chris Wyman needs, even though like he's obviously related to one of my favorite fighters, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, their in-laws. So uh, I definitely don't want to, ever like you know encouraged him leaving the camp but you know sometimes it's, it's worth it especially if you want a, like a fresh start and a, and a new perspective going into a fight game 10 years after your prime right so i'm gonna say highly unlikely because i'm a very harsh critic when it comes to a lot of mma fighters but yeah that's my answer to that yeah so uh here's another question so if you were in the shoes of dana white and you have Chris Weidman coming back. What do you think it would be an interesting thing to put him in a title fight with the style bender Israel Adesanya, or do you think he would need another fight night or a pay per view to prove himself and then give him that challenge? Yeah, especially after last night's performance. You know, I understand like he took a leave of absence. 
you have to find yourself. A lot of fighters have to do that. But you, you just came back, and, you know, your performance wasn't the most entertaining. It wasn't the most skillful. It obviously had a lot of holes in it. A lot of people say it was sloppy as well, which it was on the ground for sure. So I think that he definitely needs to get his bojo back because that is uh, – I, I saw Chris Wyman. I was not impressed by Chris Wyman, but even that – like was least like the least impressive in my opinion because he has so much skill as well that people don't know about because they pretty much like you know underrate him a lot so i definitely think he needs at least one or two more fights to prove himself now here's the thing though the thing that's probably going to get him through a lot of these fights is his heart like you know and a lot of people don't really talk about that a fighter's heart and mentality and their spirit it literally changes the entire game for them and so as we see a lot of fighters like cody garbrandt like coming back as well like he's saying he has a change of heart you see that motivation, you see that fire lit up pretty much in them. So I'm hoping to see, you know, him really take that seriously and like be like, hey, here's the thing. I came back, but this division is, is going to be really tough for me to maneuver. But I really want this. And, like, you know, obviously working hard, you know, studying fight tape. It's really important, by the way, and making great decisions and conditioning, conditioning, conditioning as well so sounds easy <laughs> oh no 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 it, it, i can't do that <laughs> so um here's another one uh big it, for those who aren't even fight fans you know the name conor mcgregor now of course he's had like a michael jordan type scenario where he's retired multiple times i think this is his third time retiring if i'm right third time yeah do you think we will ever see Conor McGregor in a UFC ring again? And if we do, do you think he will be what he once was? I don't think he'll ever be what he once was because before, uh, if anyone does not know the backstory of Conor McGregor, he grew up in the slums of Ireland, literally the slums of Ireland. And so, and in that area where he grew up in, like they pretty much think that they're entitled to have the fame and the fortune all the time. And so then when Conor McGregor started, like, you know, obviously fighting in the UFC, he, he was so hungry for it. And like, that was one of the reasons why I started to like him in the first place originally, because like, I like obviously fighters that just want it so bad and you can just tell and like them working hard and you know that left hook just still dangerous to this day but I think the motivation for him has changed obviously once he got that title once he got the second title he didn't even defend them at once he went into a boxing match to get 30 million dollars with Floyd Mayweather you know so like at, at that point I knew that the motivation for him shifted at the same time obviously you've seen him come back and lose to my favorite fighter Khabib Nurmagomedov lightweight champion oh you gotta plug that in <laughs> and, and, yeah that was a, that was a brutal match but like it was a lot of fun for me to watch but he came back a few times, but I just think that he will be back. It's just that his motivation is like that money fight or that title, just to get that title. I don't think he's ever going to defend it because he's never actually defended any of his titles before. I don't think that's the motivation anymore. I just think that, you know, for him, it's like, is it worth it right now to do this fight? Like, that's for me the answer when it comes to Conor McGregor. Uh, he's still, like, skilled, but at the same time, he's very, like, two-dimensional in a sense where, like, his ground game completely sucks, okay? <laughs> that's, like, that's the most blunt way I can put it. If you don't believe me, look at the whole Khabib versus him match. You know, obviously, that was a big indicator at, you know, which fighters had, you know, obviously better levels of the of the fight game. So um, he will be back. It's just it wouldn't be just, you know, consistent as he was was when he, he wasn't champion, if that makes sense. The motivation is different now. 
Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with you. I think he will be back. I, I just think the UFC is missing a guy with so much swagger like Anderson Silva, but is so deadly with his hands. And hmm. he, he knocks out people like that. With the left, boom, you're done. Like, I, I just think that the UFC is missing just – he brings fans because of his swagger and because of his deadliness. No, no, for sure. I, and, and here's the thing. It's like Conor McGregor has the it factor, and I can't even pinpoint what the hell that is. I just know that he is like the best self-marketing machine I've ever seen in my entire life. Like he literally just anything he touches turns to gold. Like that's Conor McGregor for you. And whether if that's truly who he is or whether he's putting up a show for the fans, it's working. He's the he's one of the most, if not the most polarizing fighter, and some of the most polarizing fighters are the fighters that get the most attention because you either love him or you freaking hate them. And either way, either if you love him or hate him, you're gonna keep watching. You know when he's in the octagon, whether you want him to lose or whether you're just like you know team notorious or whatever they call it. I'm not a Connor fan, okay? Like, so I'm just I'm just saying like you know you have to respect the fact that you know obviously he's he's brought so much to the sport uh you know obviously bringing the casuals and amateurs in and that's a huge market because the hardcore fans like me we're always gonna be there regardless of what happens to the organization but uh yeah connor is something else that's for sure and uh even though if i don't agree with his tactics and things that happen outside the octagon and 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 him coming back and retiring for the third time i don't agree with that but you know at the end of the day like he he's good for the organization in sense of the organization is always going to like be in the talks because of him. Right. Yeah. So uh, here's, here's the thing I actually just thought about, which is actually kind of weird, but it sort of makes sense. We've seen a lot of fighters who um, including very recently uh, Ronda Rousey and Cain Velasquez, they've shifted their talents from UFC to the squared ring in WWE putting on a show for the fans. Do you think, I, I, if I was Vince McMahon, I would I would put Connor on in a minute. Do you think that would be something he would do? I think that he was thinking about it. I mean, I, I swear there was like rumors and stuff like that of him thinking about like you know stepping into another you know uh, combat entertainment you know production, especially because WWE is you know just ten times full like the popularity you know than UFC, right? So I think that if the price was right, and Connor would definitely do it. But uh, it's Connor, so like he doesn't settle for you know <laughs> anything less than what he thinks he deserves, pretty much, and that's fine. And uh, that, that's the reason why he's retired now. And also, I feel like it's because he's he might be ducking a few people in that division because it's a lightweight. Oh my gosh, I would never touch that division if my life depended on it, you know. So for sure. Speaking of comebacks and a guy I wouldn't touch with a ten foot stick, uh, let's <laughs> move on to boxing. Boxing, of course, uh, we are having a 54-year-old man return to boxing. Sounds very yeah. sounds very dangerous, but with this man, I think he can do it. Mike Tyson is coming back to boxing. He is fighting Roy Jones Jr. September 12th. So he is the hardest puncher in boxing history, no doubt. I would, Like, again, I would not touch this guy with a 10-foot stick. <laughs> but... Again, he's 54. We've seen people condition their bodies. Of course, we see Tom Brady. Uh, we, we spoke about Alexi Olenek and Fabrizio Verdum like, earlier mm-hmm. in the episode. Uh, do you think that, one, do you think that Tyson's actually going to win the fight? 
Two, do you think he will dominate, maybe not to the extent that he used to, but still be a dominant force in the ring? I think, okay, so this is what I, I talked about this with my partner and like with pretty much a lot of fight fans out there. Uh, we both love both of them, okay? Mike Tyson, Roy Jones Jr., like you're both legends to us for sure. If you're a huge, you know, boxing fan, you know, my point in this is that anything could happen. I, Roy Jones Jr., I know, has been consistently training. Like, for a fact, I know that. So, you know, for him, he's probably going to have the upper hand or he's probably going to be the favorite, you know. But obviously, it's Mike Tyson, and, and he's been tr- at least, like, teaching a lot of these UFC fighters, like, a lot of skills right here and there. So, like, he definitely still has it. Um, I, my, my money always goes to Roy Jones Jr. He's just, like, he's a freaking, like, beast and like a mastermind at everything and like i love mike tyson don't get me wrong it's just that like you know i like consistency so like if i see you consistently training and all that then i wouldn't be surprised if you're gonna be end up victorious so like my money is probably gonna be on roy roy jones jr but it's mike tyson so pretty much anything can happen he's like the brett Favre of, of freaking boxing you know so <laughs> yeah uh, my concern is with mike tyson if there should be any concerns of course he's mike tyson um is that, again, he's 54. And uh, Mm -hmm. boxing is tiring. Like, you're getting punched in the face, you're moving around in the ring constantly. Uh, When you're that fatigued and you're getting that punched that hard, like, you are susceptible to being knocked out. Do Do you think that will happen? Oh, man, that's tough because both of them have chins on them. So it's, it's kind of like for me, I, I never pe- picture any of them getting knocked out, at least again in their career. I think that I don't know what kind of fight it's going to be. Like, you know what I mean? Like some people think it's going to be like a slugfest. So maybe it's going to be the most boring, technical, defensive fight you'll ever see. Right. So I think that. I don't think that one of them will be knocked out. I think that there's going to be possibility for a knockdown, but probably not a knockout just because, like, I feel like I know these two fighters. You know, they're tough for sure. Yeah. So, um, uh, shifting away from Mike Tyson, uh, we're still going to be talking about the pay-per-view, but things get a little weird. Yeah, things get weird. <laughs> uh, famous YouTuber, millions of subscribers, uh, Jake Paul, he – he and his brother Logan Paul have started a boxing career. And to me, it's more like Jake Paul. He's like, whatever I want to do, I can do it. I can be a YouTuber. I can be a rapper. Now I now I want to be a boxer. Here we go. I'm one and up. He <laughs> he fought in Miami um, and got a first round knockout, which is impressive. Um, but we have to see he's fighting a even more strange. A five-line former NBA point guard, uh, Nate Robinson. Uh, Paul is 6'1". He has the height advantage there. And, um, of course, I before I go into any predictions or anything, like I said, Jake Paul and Logan Paul, but primarily Jake Paul, has so much power. Not, not mm-hmm. in boxing, but just himself. Like, his fight in Miami, like we, we, I'm from Philadelphia. There's fights all the time going on in the Met um, and everywhere. Like there's no pub- publicity. Like if he wants to have an underground fight, it's being covered by ESPN. Yep. <laughs> um, 
And every every day of his life, something interesting is going on. Most recently, like he he does videos and stuff like that. Most recently, an FBI raid. Yeah, I, I saw that. I was like, wow, the, the the stories just don't end with with them, do they? <laughs> oh yeah. So every so the, every day of this guy's life, of this twenty three year old's life, is primarily pretty interesting. So. The first thing is, um, will the fight go on? Because if he is in trouble, uh, will they have to shut down the fight, postpone it? Like that, that That's going to be a question um, that we yeah, have to sure. see about. But the other thing is that he's want to know, he got a knockout, but I, I'm feeling like they staged him up against a guy that he knew, that they knew he would knock out. Yeah, uh, 100%. Against Nate Robinson... Do you think one Paul will knock him out, or two? Do you think he'll win the fight at all? I mean, well, okay, yeah. Obviously, we talked about the fact that he's in the latest scandal right now, uh, FBI raid. Yeah, most random news headline I've ever seen, like in the last few days. I know, right? I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> like when I was watching it or reading it. And uh, I, I don't know. I don't think he'll be in trouble. Trouble. Like, I don't know why. It just, it just feels like a scandal to me. At the end of the day, it's, it's probably not going to be a, a big thing. And uh, I think that he, there's a good chance he's going to knock out Nate Robinson. Like, I, obviously, I'm not a Jake Paul fan, you know, or Logan Paul whatsoever. It's just that they both obviously have their collegiate wrestling backgrounds. You know, especially Jake Paul and Logan, they both have, like, you know, backgrounds in fighting. So, and and obviously they think. Keep fit, you know. They, they train all the time, apparently. So there's a good chance there's a knockout. I mean, especially like I, I see it, like I see it in my head right now. You know, especially with that that height advantage, that reach advantage. Like I don't think many people understand if you can distance yourself so easily from your opponent, and they're like obviously you know how many inches shorter than you. It literally makes a huge difference. Like your opponent has to work ten times harder to come at you in close distance. In boxing and MMA, whatever it is, right? I am five feet tall. I am like super short, right? So imagine if I faced against someone who was like five four. I have to work extra hard. I have to endure a few punches here and there in order to make an impact. And so, like that's why I see there could be a knockout because you know countering is some of the best knockouts that we've ever seen. Like you know, especially in boxing. So for sure. Of course, this. Uh... That was his first professional fight. Um, he had a event at the Staples Center. It was a YouTube boxing event. Of course, Logan be- Logan being the undercard. Uh, Logan un- uh, lost his fight. Jake did um, win his. And we'll transition to Logan Paul because to me, Jake Paul, it's like that's pretty interesting. This is where things get really interesting. <laughs> Logan Paul is 0-1 in his boxing career. But... He's thinking about having more boxing matches and also transitioning to the MMA. He had a video where he sparred with another middleweight uh, contender. We Florashina, that's right. <laughs> in Las Vegas um, at the UFC headquarters, he did not farewell punching. He went right to sleep. But <laughs> yeah, un- <laughs> unfortunately, it's not for the faint of heart. Um, yeah. But with wrestling, like you said, he has that wrestling background. He actually held his own against Paulo Costa. But um, in January, he wanted to have meetings with Bellator about an MMA career. Do you think this could be a realistic expectation for Logan Paul? 
Well, I think also if you if anyone read like certain articles and pieces about this, like you know Logan Paul, he's all about the money. You know, obviously he's gonna do this for the right amount of money. Kind of similar to how Conor McGregor is with with the whole motivations behind it. And I think that it, it's a hobby. Obviously, these these two. They train all the time. They obviously have fun watching fights and obviously either competing with each other or training with the best of the best in the world, right? Wrestling is actually, how do I say it? Like, it's the, one of the most important uh, MMA, you know, types out there. It's literally the most dominating. Some of the best fighters in UFC, for sure. Amazing wrestlers. You got Daniel Cormier, obviously. My favorite, uh, could be Nurmagomedov. He, the, the best wrestlers, like, you know, especially in MMA. And so, like, wrestling is a huge deal. Uh, and Bellator, Darren Caldwell, former, you know, featherweight champion. So, like, I think that, I don't know if it's realistic, just because, like, you know, here's the thing, like, obviously, uh, Bellator, like, you're pretty much, like, second best promotion out there. I don't know if you have the money, like, you know, personally that Logan Paul is, like, you know, looking at because they, they like to foster a lot of new young talent in Bellator, right? So, like, you know, I don't know where the funds are going to come from, sponsors maybe. Uh, I just think that for Bellator, it might be a smart move. Is it smart to get Logan Paul instead of someone else? Maybe not. Okay, <laughs> that's just what I'm saying right now. Like, you, you, you're trying to enter that whole money era fight game, you know, where everybody is just kind of hungry for that opportunity. Everyone has to talk smack, and that's the only reason and way they're going to get noticed kind of thing. So I feel like because of that era, I think it could be realistic, but in terms of financially, I don't think so. Firstly, the only, you know, the only promotion that could, uh, you know, do that would be the UFC, and I know Dana would never, like, <laughs> entertain that for a damn fact. Yeah, right, so. I was just going to ask you that. I'm not a Paul fan. Uh, like, I'm not a fan of the Paul brothers myself. But we I, are not a fan. But I think the dynamic of it is so interesting because they're using their internet as leverage. Like, they're releasing yeah. those boxing hype videos. Like, Mike Tyson's now doing that, and that's how he's getting back in it because people are saying, do it, do it. You still got it. Um, yeah. And I just think that Jake Paul and Logan Paul are using the internet to their leverage. And I think Bellator, I, I, I agree. I don't think uh, – I was going to ask you if um, Dana White would be up that because Logan Paul said that would be his dream to fight in the UFC. And uh, Dana, of course, is a pr he's a pretty good uh, scout. He had uh, Dana White looking for a fight. He's a pretty good scout. Do you think Dana White would at least scout him? It's tough for me because, like, I guess I, I'm an avid follower of Dana White's Contender Series. I've always obviously followed looking for a fight. That was the, you know, the show that Ben was talking about right now. It's just – they're, they're really taking it very seriously. You know, even uh, people that came out of that show, like Sean, Sugar Sean O'Malley, who has a lot of swagger, a lot of personality in himself. Like, you know, he's still amazing in the Octagon, but that was, that's the key underlying point. You have to wow Dana. And it's not just because you have, I don't know, millions of fans that, like, the market right there might not be the perfect market to, like, attract the UFC. It's going to be a little bit tough, okay, a little bit tough to do that. Uh, so I think that I don't think he'll entertain it, like because I think Dana is like a cutthroat person, like he's very blunt. You know, I'm I'm a little bit similar to that in terms of like if I don't think it's a good idea, I'm gonna tell you to your face it's not gonna, a good idea kind of thing, right? So I think that unless like 
you know, Logan actually faces someone that's worthy, you know, that the that both of them are worthy of going into promotion like the UFC, then then no, like, I don't I don't I don't think that is going to happen just because like I don't see him wowing Dana, just like how the other fighters have been doing you know so i was just about to say that that would be the thing i would do i uh there's a kid and uh, there's a guy in our area that's going to be on the contender series very soon joe body- what yeah really oh that's awesome joe, i can't wait <laughs> joe body bags piper and he's been oh yeah he's been doing okay. he's been doing fights at the tropicana in atlantic city but he's been facing like really good MMA fighters like at the Tropicana. Mm-hmm. I, I just feel like with these pairings with Jake and Logan Paul, they're pairing them up against people that I think they know they can beat. And you yeah. need to have an opponent that's probably stronger than you, that's faster than you, in order to impress Bellator, in in order to pr- impress uh, UFC. No, for sure, and like, but yeah, in order to press Bellator, let alone the UFC, is like a totally different ballpark. We all know that they're the number one promotion in the entire world, and probably going to be there for a long, 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 long time. Now, it's funny because when you mentioned that, it, it brought me back to uh, Bellator 243 that just happened on Friday, and there was a, there was a fighter. You know, I'm not the most fond of her just because uh, I know like. Basically, her last opponents, Battle Loretta, like her last opponents had like zero and one, one and one, zero and two, whatever like records. And so like she is the cash cow for Bellator and, and rightfully so, you know, she has a lot going for her. And then I finally, they pair up with someone who's kind of at her level kind of thing, you know, uh, Tara Graf one and one. So I was really surprised, you know, I was really impressed by her knockout because Tara Graf is number one, stronger, you know, better reach, has more experience than her for damn sure. Like, literally half the time Valor was running around, like, in the octagon, like, trying to figure out what the next move is. So that was really impressive to me. Here's here's my thing. Like, I am one of those people, I don't jump the gun to the bandwagon. Like, you know, like how a lot of people do. I, I'm very, like, kind of just, like, I want to see consistency. Now you, you, you can give in a girl that obviously has more experience that probably was uh, one of the favorites, if not the favorite to win this fight and you knocked her out. So that's, that's kudos to you. Now you gotta, you gotta understand in the flyweight division in Bellator, it's cutthroat as well, right? So you have to bulldoze your way in there and there's definitely some like areas that she can improve on, but she's young, man. She's like 22 years old. So you know what? I think that I would love to see as time progresses, you know, what happens with her and at the same time, it just kind of relates to how, like, Logan and Jake have all these opponents that, like, oh, you know, they, they set them up for success. Very much a, like kind of a box, boxing-esque tactic, you know, a little bit of shadiness going on in those promotions, but we all know that. We don't have to talk about it that much. But, yeah, I don't know. I would love to see them fight someone that was right there with them, uh, and that, that would actually uh, entice probably more fans like me to actually maybe tune in for even a round, <laughs> you know, to watch that fight. <laughs> yeah. Before we move on to our last subject of the day, food, which I love. I'm a very food person. I'm sure you are as well. Um, I, I, I just think the last thing I want to say about this is that it's all going to be very interesting. I can't wait to see what happens in the Tyson pay-per-view. I want to see if Mike Tyson is really got his boxing game back. I think I, I've never seen him fight before. I'm a uh, 2000s kid and I, I really wanted to see what it's like and I just think that seeing um, 
Jake and Logan Paul fighting in the future. I like they can really fight. Like it's not really like a joke. Like they have the skills to fight. Paul Acosta said that to Logan Paul himself. I just want to see what they can do with it. Right. And that that's the whole point, right? Like just because you I even alluded to this like earlier, just because you have the skills and the potential, if you don't use like, you know, your uh, fight game IQ, like you're pretty much screwed. It doesn't matter if you have the best wrestling in the world. It doesn't matter if you have the best knockout power in the world. Look at Conor McGregor, man. He had the best knockout power in the division for a time. And look what happened. Khabib like mauled him clearly, you know, demolished him. And and think about someone like Tony Ferguson, who I I shed a tear to because I still still love him. I was heartbroken when he lost to Justin Gaethje. But uh, he he is one of the most dangerous, like, fight styles. But for someone like Justin Gaethje, who has obviously an immense amount of knockout power, great skill, and probably the best IQ and one of the best coaches, you know, when Trevor Whitman from Colorado, I mean, like, it was just kind of a recipe for the perfect storm right there. So it doesn't matter if you you have the best of something, you know, if you're not in it and, and one split second you make one mistake, it's all over for you. And then that's, that's the fight game, and it sucks, but it's also the reason why we love to watch it at the end of the day. Moving on to our snack break, because this is a session stand. I think I like play on words I did. Um, uh, Of course, we are in the COVID-19 pandemic, unfortunately. So we don't have the same access to food that we usually do. Uh, I did a little bit of my homework and I looked at the top of your Twitter page and it says, quote, ask me about wine. So I'm going to (laughs) ask you about wine. So what, so why did you put that on your Twitter? Like, are you a wine expert? Uh, kind of, I would say I'm, I'm a product consultant for the liquor stores. So basically the liquor stores in Toronto are pretty much like one whole franchise. So in there, I, I pretty much, my job is to tell customers or to recommend a lot of drinks that will pair well with different events and obviously different dishes and parties that they're hosting. So for sure, you know, I, I definitely know my wines. I, I know more drinks as well. That's the reason why I became a product consultant. I don't know why, just the, the satisfaction of just pairing, you know, what it is, I don't know, a medium rare steak with a perfect cab set. It's just like, it, it gives you just goose, well, for me, it gives me like the most pride in the world, besides obviously sports, besides like MMA knowledge for sure. So, yeah, bring on the the questions. So, of course, uh, like you said, you're in near Toronto and I'm near Philadelphia. So it's a little different here um, in terms of food and stuff. Not not too different, but just a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. But um, I wanted to ask you, like you said, um, actually, I didn't know that you did the pairing stuff. That's what was actually going to be my question is your top three food and wine pairings. Oh man. Okay, so I kind of just I kind of gave one of them away. Uh, if anyone wants to know what to give me for my birthday, just cook me a medium <laughs> rare steak. I, I I absolutely love it. It's my favorite meal in the entire world. You know, top sirloin. You pair that with okay. So there's a wine out there in California. The winery is called Robert Mandavi, and it's the Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon. And like every single time I, I go to this one steakhouse, I just have to have it. It's like the most the, the perfect pairing in terms of like you know you bite into that that medium rare like you, the the juices and all the seasonings around it with the crust and then you pair that with the the smoothness and the, and the bold intensity of a cab sav is it's just kind of like nothing beats it honestly like I I could just be lost in, in that dish for for a long time so that's one of the 
pairings, I would probably say. The second one is kind of classic. So if anyone who is a seafood lover, you know, I'm a huge fan of salmon. That's like my favorite fish in the entire world to make, right? And, and obviously to eat. And a lot of people were like, oh, what pairs well with salmon? Well, you know, tis the season of the rosé season. That's right. Any of the pink wines out there, it, they're like literally perfect for salmon, especially obviously dr towards the drier side. You know, you have all the flavors and the citrus flavors that you have. And obviously when you cook salmon, some people drizzle it with some lemon and all that. And there's some honey flavors, melon flavors in wines like that as well so definitely any kind of dry rosé i prefer a lot of french rosés if you can find that that's pretty much going to be your go-to like summer dinner dish especially happening right now this is the season of the rosé uh what's my third pairing that's a that's a really good question because uh this one's going to surprise a lot of people because uh i guess like you know judging from how i look like I, i'm obviously like i said i'm five feet <laughs> you know I, I pretty much uh look really really young as well but honestly my favorite part of the store to hang out in is the scotch section like honestly i go for a really mean single malt my favorite is the mccallum's gold double cast triple cast if you can't get it but it's obviously pretty pricey but it's honestly super smooth the complexity of the flavors it's obviously like i said super smooth going down and uh really regal and, and literally do not mix it with anything that is the wrong <laughs> like move the dick you have to have it neat no no rocks or anything like that i i personally just take and eat like a purist and I pair it, actually, it's funny, I pair that with something like, like a dark chocolate dessert because, in, funny enough, like, scotch has a lot of the elements that you can get that are, you know, sometimes sweet. You have a sometimes cinnamon, vanilla, apple flavors in there. So, like, you can play around with different scotches and then you can have fun kind of pairing it with desserts. But if anyone who's a sweet tooth, you know, and doesn't want to pair it with, like, a really sweet wine, I mean, scotch is a great alternative to that. You got to play around with some of the, you know, the ingredients or the flavor pairings, but you know, that's pretty much what I'm here to do, <laughs> you know, as, as, you know, a product consultant at my store. So those are my three pairings and I uh, wouldn't have it other way. And I'm now I'm hungry. <laughs> Me too, actually. Uh, so yeah, I know, of course, I'm a 2000s kid. So unfortunately not there yet in terms of the alcohol did have Mandashevitz at the moment for though that does count. But, does count. <laughs> um, I think uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do a little spin off it. I'll do a food and drink pairing. Uh, number one, uh, you know Shake Shack, like the uh, fast food chain? Yeah. Yeah, they have a Shack burger and a uh, black and white milkshake. I just used to get the vanilla because I'm like, I'm a vanilla person. I don't like chocolate for some reason. In oh, yeah. Everything else, I'm fine with chocolate, just not with the ice cream. And my dad's like, no, you got to try this. Like, try it now. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> had this and it was the most heavenly combination I've ever had. So I, I they have one in University City. We have uh, 10 basketball season tickets. So yeah, whenever we yeah. go there on Friday nights, we'll, we are always stopping at uh, Shake Shack. Number two, I, I'm a juice person. Like I, I'm one of those I'm one of those teenagers that just cannot get enough of juice. I'm just one of those people. Um, <laughs> I, when we go to the country club in Delaware, um, I will get a a filet, a filet mignon, some mashed yeah. potatoes. Okay. <laughs> medium rare. And I will also get a side of grape juice because that is one of my favorites. Um, okay. Okay. I think it's just such a, yeah, it's such a good combination. 
Um, I, it just Closest works really one. well together. Like you said. The, Closest thing to one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just like you said, the juices come out with the meat. It's very tender, and then pair that with the uh, saltiness of the mashed potatoes, and oh, then the so uh, sweetness <laughs> of the juice. It's just it's a perfect combination to me. Um, oh, it's such a tough uh, number one. I milkshake's my favorite drink. I'll go. I would go apple juice because I again one of those teens. Um, but I think milkshakes are just so good. Um, there's a place um, it, between me and Wilmington. It's called Charcoal Pit. It's a famous burger place. Um, Biden and Obama went there a couple, a couple times. It's it's really good. Uh, they have, um, I think it's a wood-fired burger. And it, they have like these hand-spun milkshakes that are just to die for. Like that sounds go, good. That sounds good. If you go to Charcoal Pit, you gotta get those shakes. Um, my last question to you is, uh, of course, you're up in Canada. Um, that the wineries in the U.S. like you think of Sonoma in a bunch of yes. yeah, yeah. Are there any good places for wine in Canada? Well, that's a, that's a really good question. Obviously, it's funny because some of my specializations are actually uh, wineries in my province. So shout out to the six, Toronto. Obviously, we're in the province of Ontario, and Ontario has amazing wines. And like you said, once you, once you get to that stage when your alcohol becomes like readily available to you, you if you go to Toronto, we have amazing wineries that have some sweet wine something like manischew is obviously not as sweet as that but still sweet very close to i guess you could say juice in a, in a way because like that's the sweetness of juice right there uh riesling's amazing uh, ontario is like literally just they're made like the climate is made for ice wine which is super sweet by the way sweeter than manischew it's and riesling so i would definitely say that a couple of wineries that stand out to me cave springs in a skillin, you know, like obviously people, if you're from the six, you probably know that because it's all in your stores right now. Sandbanks, you know, I, I, the list goes on and on. Like we definitely try to promote local like as much as we can. So, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. This has been such a fun time. Thank you for so much for being on the show. This is Monique Yippie, ladies and gentlemen. Remember to check out uh, ladies of uh, ladies unwrapped fights unwrapped. And remember to check out the, Unwrapped Sports Network. Remember, this is during the COVID-19 pandemic. So tech issues can get in the way. It certainly did tonight. But we we went through it. We are trying to deliver you the best podcast we can. And so do all the other entertainers at Unwrapped Sports. They do a heck of a job. Please check them out. Thank you so much for being on the show, Monique. It was a pleasure having you. Oh, it was so much fun. I love anyone who picks my brains about both fights and food and wine, so I'm a happy camper. So we definitely gotta do this again. I'll definitely like we're we talking about like you know maybe a collaboration for a contender series fight. Hint hint nudge nudge to anybody who is a huge fight fan. Like please stay tuned. That'll be Tuesday nights. I'll be I'll be covering a lot of the fights and seeing who's gonna be the next UFC fighter. We'll see. We'll see. Stay tuned. There's more stuff. To- there's more stuff coming from us. It's not the end. Uh- not at all. <laughs> Remember to check out the uh, concession stand Twitter. But for now, I am Ben Hoyt. Thank you for listening uh, during this episode. Stay safe. Wear a mask so we can get back to life normal soon. Um, 
Good night, everyone.